Hi there everyone and can you believe it another week has gone by and we are continuing uh, through the book of Job but it's an exciting week as it marks the next cycle of discourses between Job and his friends and so this week we are turning to Job 22 where Eliphaz is speaking and in this section uh, as we move into the cycle we'll see it's a slightly shorter cycle uh, where Eliphaz and Job and then Bildad and Job speak, and Zophar is silent. He doesn't speak in this section. But as we go, uh, I'm excited to look at this section, this next uh, piece or cycle of Job, uh, as it changes the the momentum and the progression of things. The, the arguments build, they get stronger, but also it winds to an end as new a new character or new characters in the book of Job are going to be introduced uh, after this cycle and this section. And so there's a couple of changes on its way. And uh, it's it's exciting to see what's going to take place. Is there something different that's on its way? Or do you have to wait and find out and see if uh, that takes place? Uh, as for this for today, I'm going to be looking at uh, Job 22, and I'm going to be looking at most of it. Uh, it's difficult to break it up and pull out little sections of it, uh, because there is actually one main idea uh, per section, and, and the ideas kind of flow into one another, and they expand into different thoughts. And, and so to try and just take a verse here and there is not going to work. Uh, so we really need to look at Job 22 as a whole. But I'm going to read Job 22 for us, and then we're going to unpack it as we go, and we'll see. Job 22, verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Can a man be of benefit to God? Can even a wise person benefit him? What pleasure would it give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would he gain if your ways were blameless? Is it your piety that he rebukes you and brings charges against you? Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? You demand security from your relatives for no reason. You strip people of their clothing, leaving them naked. You gave no water to the weary, and you withheld food from the hungry. Though you were a powerful man, owing land on an honored man living on it. And you sent widows away empty-handed, and broke the strength of the fatherless. That is why snares are all around you, why sudden peril terrifies you, why it is so dark you cannot see, and why a flood of water covers you. Is not God in the heights of heaven? And see how lofty are the highest stars. Yet you say, what does God know? Does he judge through such darkness? Thick clouds veil him, so he does not see us as he does as he goes about in the vaulted heavens. Will you keep to the old path that the wicked have trod? They were carried off before their time, their foundations washed away by a flood. They said to God, Leave us alone. What can the Almighty do to us? Yet it was he who filled their houses with good things. So I, so I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. And the righteous see their ruin and rejoice. The innocent mock them, saying, Surely our foes are destroyed, and fire devours their wealth. Submit to God and be at peace with Him. In this way prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from His mouth and lay up 
his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir, of Ophir and the rocks in the ravines, then the Almighty will be your gold and the choice of silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. You will pray to Him and He will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. What you decided... What you decide on will be done, and light will shine on your ways. When people are brought low, and you say, lift them up, then he will save the downcast. He will deliver even one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. So as you can see in this section, there is a lot being said. Eliphaz has, uh, he is really got uh, something to say to Job here, and he's really got an agenda that he's pushing. Uh, but before we begin to look at this section, it's an interesting thing. If you think about an argument, maybe you've you've had an argument before, uh, or plenty of arguments, should I say. I think we've all had arguments. But maybe you've had plenty of arguments, and you're experienced in, in arguing. Uh, but if not, uh, you will understand what it feels like. When you are arguing with someone and trying to convince someone of your side of the story, trying to, uh, trying to convince them that what you are saying is right. And as a normal argument progresses, it might begin normally civil. Uh, so an argument begins with your opinion and someone else's opinion. And you realize, okay, there's a, there's a clash here in our opinions. And so as the argument develops, it builds momentum, and so you give your opinion, and the other person gives their opinion. Uh, and as that argument builds even further, it may, may build to a point where what happens is you are arguing from uh, not factual points, but you are arguing from perception. You are arguing from opinion. And so that enters into a dangerous territory of arguing. If you are having an argument with someone based on things that aren't factual, uh, but are more opinion, it, ha it leaves you at risk um, of either looking like you don't know what you're talking about, or it leaves you at the point of, in many ways, just looking like a fool. Uh, but it leaves you in a position where you can be proved wrong. And so you would lose the argument. And so what I would like to say is up front, Eliphaz is at this point in the argument where he has been arguing with Job. He's tried to convince Job that something is wrong and he needs to make a change. And at this point, Eliphaz is getting to the point where he's running out of facts to argue with. And he is now bringing accusation. So moving into your opinion or your perspective is the realm of, of accusation. Uh, and accusation uh, has obviously different aspects or different levels. You can have accusation based on fact, but accusation based on opinion or based on uh, just what you think is, is perhaps true or not, or whatever the case may be, is a very dangerous territory to be entering into. And especially so because you begin to contradict yourself. And as we look at Eliphaz's today, as we look at what he says, we're going to pick up that there are aspects to what he's saying that is true, but there's also aspects that contradict and that break down his argument. So let's turn and let's pick up there in verse 2. Uh, we're just going to quickly glance at verses 2 uh, and 3, and then we'll shift into the, uh, a bulky piece and then we'll move on. 
So 2 and 3, it says, Can a man be of benefit to God? Can even a wise person benefit him? What pleasure would it give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would he gain if your ways were blameless? So up front, uh, what, what Eliphaz is arguing here, is he saying, what, what benefit is it if you are blameless? If you are righteous, uh, what benefit if you are wise? Does it have any benefit to God? Does the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise God uh, actually need you? And now the irony in that is obviously up front, you see there's this little bit of a tension. Uh, so here you have Job, he's needing a comforter, he needs someone to give him counsel that can advise him, point him to God. Uh, but at the end of the day, what purpose is there, they are asking, what purpose is there for a person like Job that claims to be blameless and wise? But more so, uh, the, the other side of it is, what purpose is there of these three friends? They aren't pointing to God. They aren't helping God. Uh, and so there, there's this double-sidedness. There's this sharpness, this double-edgedness to what they are saying. And the danger is that they are uh, actually undermining the very purpose that they are there. That they could be comforters. They could be helping and encouraging and pointing Job in the right direction. But instead, they are uh, of no use, really. And Job has made that clear. And so here they say, can a man be of benefit uh, to God. Uh, the on answer that they're obviously looking for is no, but then that would ring true for them as well. So what they are doing is not even benefiting God. So they actually then don't need to speak. By their own words, they should keep quiet, which is something that Job alluded to uh, a couple chapters ago. Uh, and then we move on to verse 4. It says, Is it for your piety that he rebukes you and brings charges against you. So now, the first question that is kind of proposed to Job here is, is it perhaps because God wants you to be righteous or to be more upright that he rebukes you, that he brings charges against you? Is he doing what he is doing to you so that you can be righteous, so that you can be more upright? Uh, but then he goes into verse 5 and he says, Is not your wickedness great? So now we know that in verse 5, here is Eliphaz's thrust. This is where he's pushing. And he says there, Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? So he is accusing Job outright here that his wickedness is great, his sins are endless. And then he unfolds. He says in, from verse 6 onwards, You demanded security from your relatives for no reason. You stripped people of their clothing, leaving them naked. You gave no water to the weary and you withheld food from the hungry, though you were a powerful man owing land, uh, an honorable man living on it, and you sent widows away empty-handed and broke the strength of the fatherless. Now, there's a couple images here that uh, we need to pick up on uh, th that's quite strong images, uh, dangerous images. The hungry, the, those that are impoverished, uh, the widow. Uh, they are bringing them into their argument and saying, Job, you have pushed them away. You have cast them aside. You have disregarded them when they have needed you. And so this is what Eliphaz is using as his argument. He is saying, Job, your wickedness, your sinfulness is wrapped up in an unwillingness to serve the people around you, to love the people around you. And the danger with this is that if you had to go back in Job and remember some of the things that was said about Job is what is remarkable 
is that it is Eliphaz himself that uh, actually highlights uh, the fact that Job has looked after people. If you recall, listen to these words in Job 4. Uh, we go back there quickly. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 4. Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened falter, faltering knees. But now troubles come to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. And so what's interesting is that might not seem like this is uh, the same picture. But it is a picture of Job uh, supporting and lifting up people that have been vulnerable. People with feeble knees. People that have stumbled and fallen. And Job is not the kind of character, even in the the original eyes of Eliphaz, uh, Job is not the kind of character that disregards people in need. If that's not enough, we are told that Job is a blameless and upright man. Upright is significant in that. He is not a person that does things uh, for his own personal gain. He's upright. He's a respectable man. He's someone within the community that when people look at him, they recognize him. He's, he's a fair man. Uh, and so the uprightness in what we are told about Job is an aspect of that. And on top of that, the fact that he fears God and uh, and shuns evil. The fearing of God is an important thing. Because not only where there is a fear of God is there wisdom, but there is also the love uh, for your neighbor. And so that will take you back into the understanding of at least the laws and the commandments that God gives uh, Israel uh, in Exodus. So you have this idea that where God, need, where God is feared, there should be a demonstration of that by a loving of your neighbor. And so here you have this argument that Eliphaz is bringing against Job, saying Job has actually disregarded those that are in need. He's disregarded his neighbor, whether it is for food or whatever. But it, his argument is against uh, his own argument here. Eliphaz at this point is not even arguing against Job anymore. He is now actually arguing against himself. Um, before Eliphaz was willing to acknowledge that Job looked out for the broken and the, the weary. And now in verse 7 you can just see that there. It says, you gave no water to the weary and you withheld food from the hungry. Which isn't something that we are a picture that is painted for us of who Job is throughout the whole book. So this is interesting. This is where we see Eliphaz starting to grab at either opinions or, or enforcing certain kind of thoughts that he has to try and build his argument. But unfortunately, they are not based in fact. They are not based in truths. He is now throwing whatever possible thing it could be uh, that where Job has been wicked or sinned and trying to explain why Job has suffered. So remember, the friends have been the whole time trying to argue and explain to some degree that Job is suffering because he's done evil or wicked or sinned. But we are told otherwise. So up front, this is a, this is a strong remark. These are strong comments that are thrown at us. But we know that this doesn't fit not only the picture that Job gives, but even what the friends have seen in Job. In the little arguments that they have brought in the beginning of, this, uh, of their, their discourses with Job. 
And then we see they pick up on, uh, Eliphaz picks up on the same language that has been used before. Uh, this is the reason that there are snares in verse 10 and 11. That is why snares are all around you, why sudden peril terrifies you, why it is so dark you cannot see, and why a flood of water covers you. Ultimately, he says, Job, this is why there is chaos in your life. This is the reason for chaos in your life, because you are a wicked and evil man that push, pushes his neighbor away uh, and disregards uh, his neighbor, his, the people around him, the people that are in need, that cannot defend themselves, the widows, the hungry, uh, the orphans. Those are the kind of pictures that you get painted here. Um, and the idea of water that covers you is that picture of life that's in absolute chaos. And so we see Eliphaz trying to drive this home, trying to, trying to convince himself as well, I suppose, that this is the reason why Job is suffering. Because again, this is not what Eliphaz said in his first discourse in chapter 4. But now suddenly he's laying this uh, case against Job. And where he got the, this information, we don't know. We aren't sure. Now listen to verses 12 onwards. It says, Is not God in the heights of heaven? And see how lofty are the highest stars. You say, what does God know? Does he judge through such darkness? Thick clouds veil him, so he does not see us as he does, as he goes about in the vaulted heavens. Again, what we need to just pause here for a moment is consider what is uh, Eliphaz really saying here? Well, at first he is saying that, look at God, he is in the heavens. He is above everything else. He is, he is high above us. And then he says, yet you say, in verse 13, which is strange because what follows doesn't seem like anything that we've heard Job say. So now he's starting to put words in Job's mouth. Uh, this could be the only uh, reasonable explanation. It is possible that maybe there's another reason for it. But this at this point, from what we've seen in the previous section to this section, seems like these are the words that Eliphaz is now actually putting in Job's mouth. He is, he is ascribing to Job saying that what you have said is that God doesn't uh, what what does God know? You're accusing God of not being aware of everything. Does he judge uh, through such darkness? Uh, so God doesn't function out of a wisdom, I suppose, in some sense that he's, he's building on there. He says, so what does God know? God doesn't have wisdom. Uh, God, uh, does he judge through such darkness? Thick clouds veil him. So he does not see us. So notice there's a perception thing. As he goes about in the vaulted heavens, he's oblivious to us. He's abandoned us. Um, so this is obviously an indication that Eliphaz has read into some of the things that Job has said. And insinuating that God is almost oblivious uh, to Job and his suffering and Job's uh, state that he's in. And so he is putting these words in Job's mouth that aren't really what Job has been saying. Job never says that God is unknowing or unwise about uh, what's happening or unaware of the state that Job is in. But this is the words that Eliphaz is putting in his mouth. But what's interesting is verses 15 to 20, what Eliphaz captures and how he takes an argument that Job used in Job 21 and now uses it. And tries to turn it against Job 
at this point. So listen to this. This this rings uh, a lot more fresh in our ears because we heard this last week. It says here in verse 15, uh, we'll pick up. It says, Will you keep to the old path that the wicked have trod? Uh, they were carried off before their time, their foundations washed away by a flood. They said to God, Leave us alone. What can the Almighty do to us? Yet it was he who filled their houses with good things. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. The righteous see their ruin and rejoice. The innocent mock them, saying, Surely our foes are destroyed, and fire devours their wealth. And so you hear some of the words that Job used in last week's uh, argument, where Job really was actually challenging the friends and and. Uh, getting them to think slightly different, uh, differently about things. And now Eliphaz takes those words and he tries to adopt it into, uh, into what Job, uh, into the argument against Job. So verse 15 it says, "Will you keep uh, to the old path, uh, what uh, that the wicked have trod?" So he, he's first asking Job, "Are you going to continue to walk in this wicked path that you have? If so, remember this." They, the wicked, were carried off before their time. Their foundations washed away by a flood. Uh, this gives us immediately that, that almost that picture of Noah and the flood that took place. And all the wicked that were washed away. Though they were established, though they had possessions, though they had livelihood, uh, it, it has this immediate picture. They were washed away because of their rebellion against God. And so, verse 16, they were carried off before their time. Their foundations were washed away by a flood. They said to God, leave us alone. What can the Almighty do to us? Uh, it, these words are slightly altered to what Job has said. Last time, uh, Job, what he said, if we want to flip back there, uh, he says here in verse 15 of Job 21, Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? What would we gain? By praying to him. Uh, and so, and just before that in verse 14 he says, Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Uh, so you see that how he's merged these two ideas together. And then he says, in, as he says in verse 17, They say to God, leave us alone. What can the Almighty do to us? Uh, so there is a similarity in the argument that is being painted. And then it goes on in verse 18. Yet it was he who filled their houses with good things. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. And it's interesting because he is picking up on verse 16 there of Job 21. Where he says, But their, prosper their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. And so what is interesting is how uh, Eliphaz is trying to use now Job's own argument uh, to, to build his, his argument now. He's run out of argument, and he's now trying to just turn Job's every word against him. And at this point, the danger in what he has done is that he is painting Job in this picture, saying that you are the wicked person in the very example that you gave. Uh, and yet what Job's argument was, was that those wicked that he was highlighting there tend to possibly live long lives. You're saying that they are wiped out because that's what you saw in the flood. That's your argument. That's what you were taught. Uh, the wicked were washed away by the flood. But Job was arguing, saying, There are wicked that have not been washed away, that have gone to the grave at peace. 
And so uh, Eliphaz here is frustrated. He's arguing. He's saying, don't you remember what happened? Don't you remember? Can you think you are going in that same direction? You will be washed away like those that rejected uh, what the Lord said uh, before he flooded the earth. And so this is the kind of imagery that we get. And then verse 19, the righteous see their ruin and rejoice in the innocent and uh, rejoice. The innocent mock them, saying, surely our foes are destroyed and fire devours their wealth. Uh, it's in many ways that kind of phrase, they, the, the righteous in this sense, in this context, the righteous will have the last laugh. Uh, he who laughs last laughs best is the kind of analogy there that you can pull on. And then we have this final section. And this is in many ways the plea or the, the call that uh, Eliphaz does have. And it seems like a genuine plea. It seems noble and right in what he's saying. And it's beautiful what he says. So let's look at it first from the, the perspective of what it says and how uh, true in so many ways it is. Verse 21, it says, Submit to God and be at peace with Him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from His mouth and lay up His words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir to the rocks in the ravines, then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. You will pray to Him and He will hear you and you will fill your vows. What you decide on will be done. The light will shine on your ways. When people are brought low and you say, lift them up, then He will save the downcast. And I'm going to just stop there. But this is a beautiful picture that Eliphaz actually paints here. It's beautiful because, as he says in verse 21, submit to God and be at peace with Him. In this way, uh, prosperity will come to you. Uh, it sounds beautiful. It sounds right. Obviously, there's a slant on, on what Eliphaz is saying, that prosperity is a now thing. You will prosper if you submit and are at peace with him. But listen to the next couple of lines. He says, accept instructions from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. That's an incredibly beautiful thing. It's, it's the right thing to do is to lay up the words of the Lord in your heart. And then 23, if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir, to the rocks in the ravines. Then the Almighty will be your gold, the choice of silver for you. Let God be all that you need. Let Him be the one that, that is of greatest value to you. In 26, uh, it surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. At that point, when you are truly delighting in the Lord and, and making Him the center of your heart, uh, you will lift up your face to God. You will rejoice again. 27, you will pray to Him and He will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. You'll pray to Him. You'll, you'll, be, in, you'll be in communication with God again. 
This relationship will be restored. You'll fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done and light will shine on your ways. God will, God will guide your path, in other words. And in 29, when people are brought low and you say, lift them up, and he will save the downcast. And so you get this beautiful picture that Eliphaz does paint here. But it's on the backdrop of if you repent, submit to God, is the first thing that he says. 23, if you remove wickedness, this is what you will get. And so these are the conditions. Job will only receive this if he submits if he removes the wickedness but the problem is we are told that in light of job that's not the case there isn't wickedness in his heart job is blameless job is upright job fears god and he shuns evil and yet he suffers he suffers for no reason. For no reason that Eliphaz has mentioned here. But the irony in what is being said here in verses 21, and including then all the way through to verse 30, which I'll read now, is that it becomes somewhat prophetic. It becomes somewhat unique. And I want us to remember this because... It becomes true in so many ways what Eliphaz is saying here. Because what he has said is going to become applicable for Job's relationship with Eliphaz, with Bildad, with Zophar. Listen to these last words in verse 30. He will deliver even one who is not innocent. Who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. What Eliphaz is saying here to Job is that if you are truly upright, if you are truly righteous, if you, if you have put the words of the Lord in your heart, then through your cleanness of hands, you will be able to deliver those that are in distress. Deliver those that aren't innocent. And somehow I, I, I chuckle at this because my question is, so Eliphaz, aren't you? Eliphaz, you are saying that Job needs to do this, but why are you not able to deliver this innocent one? Call upon the Lord. You say that if a person looks like this, that they will be able to deliver the innocent, but why aren't you then able to do it? Perhaps the problem is that Eliphaz's expectation or demands are even too high for himself. Eliphaz himself can't measure up to his own words here. And so I just want to challenge us to remember this, to look at these words, and we'll hopefully come back to them as we get to the end of Job and see how it all connects. But a, th a thought as we end off, 
is as we engage in this life, as we wrestle through this life and argue through this life, we need to weigh up the words that we use. We also need to be careful that we don't argue like Eliphaz and make our words something that we ourselves can't live up to. To be careful that we aren't hypocrites in that sense, in what we say or what we expect from others. But to remember that there is only one that has got it fully right. That has truly achieved what has been described here. In whom our hope lies. And that is Jesus Christ himself. Because in Christ, he is the one that will deliver not just even one, but everyone who is not innocent. Who will be delivered through the cleanness of his hands. So whoever comes to him, whoever seeks him through his uh, his incredible clean, cleanness of hands and righteousness, he is able to save. No other way. May that encourage you. Have a great week. And we'll see you next next week.